Hello and welcome to Practical Magic Musings, where you get rituals and wisdom to live your most magical life. I'm your host, Cassandra Bodzak, and today we are talking about the epic journey to find your niche, your mission, your specialty, whatever you want to call it. I know you know what I'm talking about, and chances are, if you've decided to click play, for this particular podcast, it's probably caused you a bit of pain and frustration and confusion, and maybe you're still in that right now. So my intention for this episode is to hopefully give you guys a little bit of a breakthrough with a wave of my wand by sharing my epic journey to uncovering the, you know, my specialty and my niche etc, which is a relatively recent journey for me if I'm going to be honest with you guys, which I always am. And, um, and hopefully the clues that I found and the discoveries I found along the way will also illuminate some things for yourself because I am sure that um, you can relate to a lot of it. So the culminating point of this honestly was very recently, which is why this is kind of part two of the Glastonbury experience of podcasts. <laughs> Um, because it kind of finally came to a head in Glastonbury after years, honestly, of going back and forth. Because here's the thing, and you know, a lot of you guys who have followed me on Instagram or listed the podcast or you know worked with me at any point over the years, you know that I'm a huge fan of Stephen Pressfield. Stephen Pressfield um, has two books in particular that I recommend to literally everyone, <laughs> and that's The War of Art and Turning Pro. And both books are really about battling resistance so that you can follow your calling. And I think it's something that so many of us deal with. (laughs) Um, For so many of us, it is this ongoing epic search. And, you know, I'll speak for myself that it is something that has taken up so much of my energy for so many years that I really feel like it's probably been one of the biggest self-sabotaging things in my business and the biggest um, form of resistance in actually following my calling, I think, was being so OCD about figuring out what my calling was. And, you know, for those of you who have done my free Clarity Now course, um, which you can get on my website, you know, one of the things I talk about in the Clarity Now course is that you know, action breeds clarity. And sometimes you just need to stop seeking the clarity and get into action and you'll be led to the clarity. And so I think, you know, in in a funny roundabout way, that's kind of what happened with me. And while there were so many ports where I was seeking that clarity, you know, to take you back, to take you back, 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 the first time I remember really questioning my specific niche and specialty. Um, And the reason I use those words instead of purpose is that I truly believe our purpose is all to be love, is to be light, right? Is to share, you know, to be miracle workers in the world. I feel like we all share that purpose, but we all have our own unique specialty and our way of expressing our particular part in the puzzle, right? And so... For me, along my journey, I fell into it, you know, when I got sick in college and I started the blog and I started talking about healing your relationship with your body and recipes and spirituality. I really was just sharing 
my life as I was going. I was just sharing the things that were working for me and putting it out there in the world and saying, hey, hopefully somewhere, somewhere out there, someone is helped by this because I knew I couldn't be the only one going through the things I was going through. But there was no real rhyme reason or, you know, I was young and naive. I was in my very early 20s and I had no idea about having an online business or a brand or any of this. And so it was really created from a very pure place. Um, and in and in so many ways, I am so grateful for that because I work with a lot, <laughs> a lot of um, women these days that are just starting their businesses, that are just figuring out their personal brands and figuring out their calling and their niche and how they want to serve in the world. And, you know, one of the things that I think really trips them up sometimes because of the nature of how things are these days is thinking uh, overly about the branding side of things, right? Thinking, okay, well, what's my tagline? Well, what's my hashtag? Well, what's, what are my brand colors? Well, you know, you know, what's my membership going to look like? Or should I do this online course? <laughs> and in one way, it's great. You guys are so much more savvy than I was when I started my journey. And so on, on a certain level, you can leapfrog ahead a lot faster than I did. Um, but on the other side, I think it also can be like a piece de resistance, right? Because it gives us something to be tripped up about, you know, instead of just starting to share, instead of just starting to serve, we all of a sudden have to find this perfect container to put it in. If we can't find the perfect container, then we can't do it. Or we just stay in purgatory <laughs> of wanting clarity or trying to figure out who our target audience is. Or, you know, when I started out, I didn't know what a target audience was. I literally was, you know, blogging about the things, blogging like to myself a month ago, you know. Um, and so like I said, in some ways, I think there was a gift in that because a lot of the resistance that I see, not only in my, not only in my clients, but also in myself, you know, is that now I know too much for my own good. And so right before I was about to right after I was on the taste and I remember I was thinking about writing a book and I knew it was down the pipeline. And I, I was trying to figure out what is my book going to be? And I was on this precipice of, you know, obviously uh, my background was in food. It was in these healthy, vegan, gluten-free desserts and, and different things I was making. And I was also a holistic health coach. So I was helping a lot of women make peace with their body, and learn healthy habits when they had an unhealthy relationship with things like counting calories and exercising and feeling like they had to eat healthy to manipulate their bodies and figuring out what is eating healthy and honoring your body look like um, in that loving way, right? So that was my primary work that I was doing. And I was also neck deep in my spiritual journey. So I was getting certified as a meditation teacher. I was learning all these different types of meditation. I was studying A Course in Miracles. So I naturally started sharing a lot about that too, because it's just kind of the nature of who I am. And I think, you know, one of the things about age is that you learn to accept those, those things. And I think forever onwards, I'll always be some someone who is going to be sharing all the different parts of my life with you. And so whether I'm sharing with you my favorite dishwashing liquid or dishwashing concoction that I probably made myself is more likely. Um, 
my favorite art thing or I'm sharing a recipe or meditation or whatnot. I'm a sharer and that's okay. But at that point, I was really wanted to niche down, so to speak, wanted to get specific. And I feel like I was going really broad. So I said a prayer before I was going to this Wanderlust Yoga Festival. And I said a prayer and I was like, God, I just want to know which direction to go because I feel, and it's funny because I still feel very much this way. I feel very confident that I could do both really well. I could go and I could be uh, just a spiritual teacher. I could talk about A Course in Miracles. I could talk about, you know, a lot of the um, the spiritual concepts that have transformed my life. I could talk about meditation. Um, and then vice versa. I could also talk about loving your body. I can also talk about... Um, you know, I could I could do a cooking show. I could talk about recipes. I, I could talk about all the different things. And I feel really confident in both. So it felt really confusing. And um, I want to be like, show of hands right now. <laughs> if you're with me, I, I'm here on my, um, my kitchen counter right now. <laughs> and looking around, and I'm like, I'm just imagining you guys, like, in spirit here, waving your hands and being like, oh, my God, I have a couple things that I'd probably be really good at, too. And I feel like it's this, you know, this misnomer that, like, there's only going to be one thing that you're an expert at. Like, you're only going to be, you know, uh, you know, I crochet the best mittens in all of the U.S. or whatever. No, chances are if you're someone that has harnessed your talents and your creative abilities, you have a few. And I think it's, you know, we live in an age where we're monetizing everything, right? We're like, monetize that hobby, monetize that skill. And the truth is, you get to keep some for yourself. You get to keep some for your passions and for your hobbies. You get to keep some for the joy of it, for your friends, for people that know you. Um, and that's something I wish someone told me much earlier in life. But, um, but, but anyway, so I was at that crossroads. I said a prayer. I did a meditation. And what came through in the meditation was this beautiful past life flashback where I was in this like kind of cave of a house thing and I had this line out the door and it was like in this beautiful forest and I was muddling blackberries and basil and these little elixir concoctions and I was giving them to people and they were telling me what was going on with them and I was giving them these little elixirs and prescribing them a meditation and a mantra and send them back into the world, right? And this was the idea for Eat With Intention. And for any of you guys that have Eat With Intention, you know that every um, every recipe has its own mantra and meditation. And uh, there are little prescriptions um, from this past life flashback I had. So I saw in that flashback how to combine, right, how to combine these two things. That meditation was an integral part of healing and a part of what I was here to teach. But also that I wasn't meant to leave the food behind because there is a magic that I have in the kitchen and with food and a way of working with food that is not conventional um, that also needs to be shared. So mind you, years go by, I come out with the book, um, life goes as it does, and I find myself constantly feeling torn. Here's the thing that people don't tell you about having a big following or having success is that oftentimes, um, when you have no one listening, let's say, when you have no one really following, 
you, it doesn't really matter, right? Because let's say if you have little, like, let's say you have like zero people paying attention right now, or like 10 people, right? And you're, you're not yet feeling the pressure. And some people, I mean, even with 15 will feel pressure. But let's say you have like literally nobody watching you right now. That's how I, how I felt when I started out my blog. I was like, no one is watching this blog. No one cares. This is purely for me. So I'm just going to share what I want to share. Um, and what a freedom in that. And what a clarity that comes from that. And that is a, you know, a question that I, I offer to clients a lot when this kind of subject comes up is actually asking yourself that if you were working in isolation, if you were, you know, kind of in a vacuum, so to speak, and you could choose to do whatever you want, you could choose to talk about whatever you want, and you are not thinking about, you know, how people are going to receive it or the outside world or, you know, how much we're going to sell of this or that or whatnot, what would you do? And it's kind of like my version of that age-old question of like, what would you do for no money? Um, and, and I think, you know, I think the importance of that question, and I think it's a very feminine question because... Uh, you know, I really believe that the there is this this marketing advice that I'm not going to say is wrong, because I, I you know I think it just depends on the kind of business you're running, right? So there is the marketing advice of like your customer's always right, listen to what your customer wants. But I think there's a caveat to that. So let's say, let's say you're you know where where does that advice work? Well, you're making a you're a a leather handbag company. I just pulled it out of my butt. So you're a leather handbag company and you already have like your, let's say your values. So maybe you're a vegan leather handbag company. So you're, you have the, the vegan value. You have, maybe you want uh, prices of value of yours. So you like to keep your prices in a medium range, right? So having a accessible price is important to you and maybe your third value is innovative design so you like to you know think outside the box and have unique designs that aren't you know maybe what you're going to see on other people's shelves so you have your main values and now we enter into the what does the customer want and this is where then your customer is like oh we want you know we love like black black vegan leather bags with um, the black, we want black vegan leather bags with gold hardware, <laughs> right? Maybe I'm taking this example too far. But so then you're like, okay, well, how do we make a black vegan leather bag putting it through our values? So it's going to be vegan, it's going to be cost accessible, and it's going to be innovative, right? So that's kind of, I think, where asking your customer helps. The tricky thing um, I think now about living in a social media world is that oftentimes we feel what our customer wants from us. And we, you know, one of the things that I experienced, and I'll just bring this back to my own journey and my story, was that I got to a certain point in my career and I felt like the only thing people wanted from me was business advice. And obviously you guys listening to Practical Magic Musings know, I mean, I have business advice for days. I've just lived through a lot of the ups and downs and what it's like 
being someone that's not super tech savvy, that's had, you know, that that's never had any like investments or help financially, that's really built something from scratch from the ground up, that has been multiple six figure and really successful and fulfilling and amazing. Um, so I, I do have a lot of things to say about that. One of my passions, of course, is empowering women and helping other women create that for themselves because I really do believe that, you know, doing something from your heart and creating a business should not be a privilege, right? It's something that we all have a right to if we're willing to put in the sweat equity, so to speak. Um, and so I love helping other women, you know, do that. However, um, it's not what I feel like my calling in life is, right? And so there's a difference there. And and so you can love doing something, right? And and that means yes, you can, you know, do that in whatever way, if that's mentorship or taking consulting projects or whatnot, right? So for instance, let's say there is let's bring it back to the vegan leather handbag story. So let's say there's a lot of people that want, you know, an even more affordable <laughs> vegan leather handbag. And they're like, okay, well, that's kind of compromising on our main call calling. Um, or, you know, maybe there's a better example is uh, watch straps. Okay, I'm going to leave this example soon. <laughs> so maybe they want watch straps, right? So let's say maybe the company wants to do a partnership with Swatch and, like, do some watch straps on the side, and that's fine. But stand true to their core values as what their company is. And so I think what happens um, when we run these online businesses and definitely what happened with me was I felt the need to give my audience what I felt like they wanted from me. Instead of coming back to what do I feel is the highest way of serving the world? What do I feel is the impact I want to make in this lifetime? And again, coming back to the fact that all of our purposes is to be loved, to be light. It's not that I'm going to withhold <laughs> um, from serving women and helping women in any way, but but I was feeling really torn because I was creating programs that were, I was creating more business oriented programs and less holistic um, programs. So, you know, Practical Magic, which a lot of you guys know, um, is a program that I love and I adore it because it really is about what I'm about at my core. It is about the food and the meditation and the self-care and how we need to create a foundation for expansion to be our most magnetic selves. Um, and then I've also done a few other business type programs like a book club and a mastermind and I did like a light maker business intensive a while ago. And I've done a bunch of those um, and they do great as well. But for me, what I found and what I even found um, in this last round of the mastermind, as much as I loved it, was that when a lot of the women wanted to talk about launch strategies or how to get more clients and stuff, it's like they didn't, like for me, I wanted to show them what was really going on, right? Which was a deeper problem, which was a spiritual problem, which was an energetic imbalance which had nothing to do with any launch strategy, which had nothing to do with Facebook ads, which had nothing to do with kind of this surface level business stuff, which is all fine and dandy. But 
that is very clearly not my calling here to teach because that's not what works for me. The business that I've built, the success that I've had is because of the deep spiritual work. It's because of the healing I've had with my body. It's because of that foundation I have created with my body, mind, and soul to make me a magnet. It's not because of anybody's seven-figure launch strategy or, you know, or Facebook ads or, or any sort of like, you know, surface level stuff, which I'm not saying is wrong. But I'm just saying that, again, perhaps someone who's who's really felt like it was those surface level strategies that changed their life, that changed the game for them, is the person who's calling it is to teach that. And when I say surface level, I don't really think I'm, I'm trying to be derogatory to it. I just mean a, the more like earthly action plane, right? Where a lot of the stuff that I'm really passionate about is um, on the spiritual um, body, mind, soul plane. Um, and so I think a lot of the time, again, clarity through action. We try things, we do things. And what I really realized this past year as I was running Practical Magic and my mastermind and figuring out, you know, things for this next book and where I wanted to take the brand and visioning for the future and where things are going was I really needed to get clarity again on what my calling was, on what I was really passionate about because I felt really wide and, and not specific. And I think one of the other things, other than, you know, what everyone says about, you know, how it's, you know, a better marketing tactic to have a niche, et cetera, et cetera. The thing that's important about knowing what your calling is and knowing what your niche is, is it also fuels your passion. If your passion is teaching people, let's say, how to live gluten-free and, you know, eat cookies every day, I don't know. Right. Let's say you're someone that's like a cookie monster and you found out you had celiac disease and now you're passionate about making sure people that have, you know, gluten sensitivity still feel like they can enjoy those treats and enjoy life and not feel upset about that. Right. Um, that's something that you could really sink your teeth into. Right. Because now you have this really pointed focus. Now you can become the world's leading expert on gluten-free cookie recipes, right? Which maybe it sounds silly, but actually, I mean, how fun. I'm just, that would be super fun, right? Every day or once a week or however you want to do it, right? You get into the kitchen, you try a different gluten-free cookie recipe, you share about it on your blog, you share about it on YouTube, on Instagram, however you want to do it. You can learn so much by narrowing down. Now, let's take that just a little bit wider. You're just a gluten-free cooking expert. Well, now... I mean, there's infinitely even more recipes and stuff like that. But if you think about it, it could even be overwhelming. Where So I think the power of, of narrowing ourselves and saying, okay, well, I could, I could say, what am I, what am I passionate about? I'm passionate about empowering women to live the life of their dreams. That's true. And I'm sure a lot of you guys listening to this are like, yeah, hands up. That's me too. Okay, but what is your secret sauce? What is your secret sauce on how you empower women to live the life of their dreams? What if you want to help people be happier? Okay, great. That's an amazing mission. So now what is your secret sauce on making people feel happier? And here, here's the thing, as I'm imagining all of you guys gathering around my kitchen island right now, 
If I point to, you know, uh, Sally on my right here, I bet she's going to be like, well, meditation helped me be happier. And if I point to Lucy on my left here, maybe she's going to say, well, daily exercise made me happier. And if I, I point to Rhonda all the way uh, by the fridge, maybe she's going to tell me that going to therapy may change, change her life, right? And that is why we need everybody on their calling. That's why we need everybody on mission because all three of those points are extraordinarily valid. And all three of those points are going to serve different women who need them. And when we're all in our particular niche and our particular calling and talking about our secret sauce, then the people that need our secret sauce find us. And if all three of those women threw out the specific thing that really helped them and just started talking about being happy, you know what happens? A lot less people get help because they're like, well, I don't know, right? But immediately, and I think this is why a lot of us tiptoe away from it, right, is because it's polarizing. It's polarizing to be specific, especially let's talk about, you know, my made up friend Rhonda over here whose therapy changed her life, made her happier. There are going to be some people that are going to listen to her, you know, preaching a good word about therapy, which I'm full support of, <laughs> um, and, and are going to be like, therapy is not for me. Or I tried therapy and I hated it, right? And that's great. I mean, that is great. Why? Because there are going to be other people. For every person that's like, well, therapy is not for me, there's going to be another person that's like, oh my God, I haven't tried therapy. Let me try therapy. Maybe that's the secret sauce for me, right? And it's going to change their life. And same thing for Lucy with the exercise. There's going to be, you know, she's going to be tooting the benefits of exercise and it might be someone else, right? That's going to be like, well, exercise is actually, uh, it feels like punishment to me. It doesn't make me happy at all. Great. Polarizing. Some other people might listen to her things and be like, you know what? Exercise has really changed my life as well. I love following her. It reminds me to stay on top of my exercise. That that's really valued to my mental health. And so we do everyone a favor by getting specific, by sharing our secret sauce. And the, you know, going back to my, my dear old friend and mentor who I hope to meet one day after preaching his good words all the time. If anyone has a Stephen Pressfield connection, please hook it up. Um, is that we, we, our soul is almost, is almost always the most resistant to our secret sauce. And it's because, in, in my theories, I will say, I think we have a lot of shame around it, right? Uh, and, and the thing that is, was our biggest hurdle, the thing that was our biggest pain point, the thing that we might even still be working on, right? is often the thing that we need to bring forth in the world the most. I forgot who said it. Um, it might be Stephen Pressfield. Uh, it's likely with the, you know, the reading I do. Is that, you know, what's in it. If we don't bring forth the things inside of us, the things inside of us will kill us. And I'm probably butchering that quote. But I think if we don't bring forth our dark and stormy, are the, the things that have been our hardest challenges, the things that we are struggling with, then those will take us out. And, you know, uh, I remember when I was in recovery for disordered eating, I did the 12 steps. And one of our, the mottos in the 12 steps was, uh, you're only as, you're as sick as your secrets, right? 
And so that's why part of, you know, 12 step groups and a lot of uh, support groups and, and having a coach, right? Having a coach, having a mentor, a lot of the healing of that is, is getting rid of your secrets, right? Having someone that you can confide in. I can't even tell you how many of my clients have told me things that they haven't told a single other person on the planet. And there's so much healing in simply the fact that they have the sacred space to be able to get it out, to be able to not hide it in the dark depths of their mind and hold it with shame in their soul because that is what tears you up inside. That is what poisons you. That is what, you know, not only dims your light, what what prevents your magnetism, but also I think what really leads to much deeper struggles in our life. And so oftentimes when we're really getting clear on what our calling is, like, for instance, let's just take that example again of, you know, our three women with the, that who have passions about helping people be happy and to, first of all, even have that passion to want to help women be happy, you would first have to accept the fact that it was a struggle for you to find happiness. You would have to get really honest with the fact that you work for your happiness. Right, which I think, hello, a lot of us do. <laughs> Newsflash, welcome to 2019. We're working for happiness here. Um, and, and then you'd have to get really vulnerable, right, about all the things that didn't work. And maybe you'd have to get really vulnerable about that, that secret sauce, the thing you found, how you have to work at it every day. Or how sometimes it's a struggle. Sometimes maybe you are resistant to going to therapy or sometimes you don't want to go to the gym or sometimes you wish you could just wake up and be happy or whatever is real for you. And we don't want to do that. Even though we know that's the medicine, we know that's where our power is at, we don't want to do it because there's this part of us that wants everyone to think we're flipping perfect. That wants everyone to look at us and be like, oh my God, Sally, she just wakes up and she's happy every day and she shares her inspirational quotes on Instagram and she has the best life and you know, okay, well if I got, if I got really honest, and here's the thing, if you truly want to help people, if you truly feel like your calling is to help women be happy, you got to get honest about how hard it is for you to be, right? Because if you felt, com if you woke up, let's just be real here. If you woke up every day and you were naturally happy, you wouldn't even think of that as a mission. You wouldn't because you would assume on, on, a, on a subconscious level, right? Not in a like being ignorant level, right? There's a part of you that wouldn't even see that as a task or a problem, right? Of course, you'd be happy, you wake up, you're happy, right? But it's for the woman that has struggled more days of her life than not to be happy that realizes how impactful and how life-changing that would be if she dedicated her life to helping other women figure out how to be happy. And it's the woman who went through 30 different things, that read every self-help book in Barnes & Noble, that tried all the therapists, that tried all the supplements, that did all the treatments and did all the things and finally found whatever it is she found, EFT, therapy, vitamins, <laughs> exercise, beach walks, whatever she found to be happy, right? That is the woman that wants to give that gift to other women, right? And, and our calling, our story, our, our medicine that we're meant to share with the world is the thing that we struggle with the most. 
And that is why it is so hard to bring forth. Because we don't want to look at it. Because in order to actually give the medicine, we'd have to admit that we need it too. We'd have to admit that we didn't just decide one day we wanted to spread happiness because we're happy all the time. No, we realized how freaking hard it is to work for happiness. So we want to give that gift to other women. We want to help them work a little less hard. We want to help illuminate some of the areas where they're hitting roadblocks because we know what it's like to hit those roadblocks ourselves, right? And so right now, if you're struggling, if you don't know what your calling is, if you don't know what your clarity is, and what, you're, what medicine you're supposed to bring forth in the world, I want to ask you, I want to put a little flashlight on your face and say, what is the thing that you've struggled with the most? What is the thing that when you, you know, who knows, maybe you haven't 100% figured it out. But what is the thing that when you 80% figured it out or you 90% figured it out, changed your flipping life, changed the game, gave you your life back, gave you happiness, gave you health, gave you success, whatever it is. What is the thing that to this day you still have to do your push-ups on? To this day, you have to be more conscious of than maybe the average bear, right? You know, it's the woman... Think about the woman that you want to get exercise inspiration from. I'll speak to this myself because I'm not, <laughs> I'm not someone that like lives for the CrossFit or the gym, right? Um, I really have to motivate myself to go to the gym. So uh, who do I not want to get exercise in inspiration from? Uh, people that love going to the gym. Really? I mean, one of my, uh, one of my best girlfriends, she's like obsessed with CrossFit. She's um, she's not like a CrossFit, um, Instagram or anything like that, but just in her personal life, she really loves it. And she'll tell me about like, you know, like she'll post sometimes about what she, what she does, or she'll tell me about, you know, what workout she did. And it's great for her. Um, I'm not inspired at all by it because she loves it so much. So it's kind of easy for her. It's not easy, the physical stuff she does, but it's easy for her to get there person I'm going to watch for our exercise motivation is someone that maybe really struggles getting to the gym. Someone that's come up with all these little little tips and tricks and tools that she uses every day to schedule in her gym time or figure out ways to make exercise fun. That's the person that's going to help inspire me, right? Because it's not easy for them. Because that person, while they're sharing that story and while they might be committed right now and end up going to the gym five times a day, it's something that will be present for them, right? It doesn't come naturally to them. So, for instance, it, again, it's like following, um, it's almost like the like the super, like, cliche thing of, like, following a naturally skinny person for weight loss tips, right? It's like, okay, why are we all so inspired when we see these turnaround stories of people that were, like, 400 pounds and decided to take their life back one day and shift their habits and start eating healthy and go walking? We're so inspired by that because we see this person that it didn't come naturally for. We see this person that maybe had, you know, cultural or familiar familiar or health reasons, things that were stacked against them, right, that made them have to really overcome, that made them have to really flex their muscles and do their push-ups. And we know that even to this day, even perhaps after losing a tremendous amount of weight, that they're very conscious and they're very intentional about doing certain things for their health. 
And it's not because it comes second nature to them. It's because they made it a priority and it matters to them. And that is, that's what a calling is, right? For me, I really believe that the, the medicine you have for the world is first the medicine you had to give to yourself. And so many of us, I know if you're listening to this, there has been a medicine you had to give your, with, to yourself. There was a turning point. There was something that happened in your life where you realize I can keep going on like this and I'm going to go into a place that I really don't want to go to. Or I'm going to turn, turn a corner. Uh, another great example of this, just to inspire you before I share with you kind of my realization in Glastonbury around this, was my girl Casey, Casey Van Zandt, um, her, she's Casey V Yoga on Instagram, but she teaches work-life balance. And the reason she teaches work-life balance, and, you know, we were friends for a while before she told me this story, because it just, you know, we talked about a lot of things, and it never really came up. And then finally, you know, I was like, okay, so what led you to teaching, to teach work-life balances to successful entrepreneurs or to CEOs of, you know, Fortune 500 companies? And she herself was a VP. Um very young in life, worked her butt off to climb the corporate ladder, had an extremely successful job, and and literally had to take a leave of absence because she had got this crazy stress rash from overworking and hustling too hard and not having the work-life balance. And when she had to take the leave because of this rash that she got, it was like her, her you know, I'm called to come to Jesus, come to God, like realization moment, right? A breakthrough moment where she was like, I can't keep doing it this way. She had to first give herself the medicine of figuring out what does work-life balance look like for me? What do I need to shift? How do I, if I'm going to go back to this job, what things need to change so that I can sustain, so that I can enjoy it, so that I can be successful but also healthy, right? And so now she, because she's given that medicine to herself first, she gives it to other people. And, you know, she's one of my best friends, so we ping back and forth all the time on audio. And she's still very mindful of herself. She's very mindful of the hours she spends working when she has a big project or a big thing going on with a client. And then giving herself that downtime, that scheduled downtime. She's actually been a total blessing in my life as far as being a reminder for me as well about work-life balance. But it's one of those things because it was the medicine she needed, the medicine she's so good at giving to other people now it's because she still does her push-ups with it. She's still conscious about it. It doesn't, you know, yes, now she has all these systems and these tools and these insights in place, but it's not something that, she, you know, she just doesn't think about, right? And so I think when we when we think about our calling, sometimes we're like, well, I'm good at yoga, so let me, you know, be a yoga teacher and share about yoga. And, and you know what? The thing is, that's great. You know, yoga is a good thing to share about. <laughs> but people will feel the difference between someone that's just good at yoga and wants to share about yoga and someone who was in the deepest depression of their life and used yoga as a way to get themselves above water, right? That person that yoga was the medicine for, that person that still uses yoga today to be that medicine for creating that positive balance in their life, that is the person. That's the teacher that you're going to be more attracted to. That's the person who's truly on mission, on calling, because in order to bring forth that medicine, 
like my friend Casey, she talks about that story. She's open about, you know, having to be conscious about her own work-life balance. That's why she's so good at teaching other people it, you know? Um, being that person that used exercise to help them out of depression, right? That probably still is really conscious about their exercise and conscious about their mood and their mental state. That is a person that you're going to be compelled to get help from if that's something you relate to. So for me, um, you know, when I was in Glastonbury and we were having some really beautiful candid conversations um, amongst really beautiful women that know me really well, um, what came forth, I kind of brought this forth again about how I go back and forth because I love teaching you guys about like the moon and, and spells and rituals and I love graphing about business and you know, I like talking about all this other stuff, but I was like, but what is my main thing? Because, you know, I can have this podcast and, you know, I do, you know, I get interviewed for a ton of podcasts and I'll be on a bunch of stages. And, you know, when I work with clients one-on-one, -on -one, regardless of what our main topic is, you know, I'm an open book. Anybody that's worked with me knows that there's no, you know, I'm not holding back any area of my life. Um, but I wanted to know, what is the thing that I want to dive the deepest on? You know, what is the thing that I want to, you know, really be putting more targeted help out into the world around? And what happened actually serendipitously, I, as I had this moment uh, a couple months ago, I said a real, I said a big prayer about it. And I, I wrote out a journal entry to God. And I was like, let me know, because I'm really ready to go narrow. I've been wide for a bit. And I've been really grateful for the success I've been able to have while being so wide because I know it's rare. But I'm ready to go now and I'm ready to go deep with something because I want to create massive impact because I really want to give the medicine I'm here to give the world. And I feel like I have a lot of things I could give, right? And so I was praying about it and that weekend something happened. I got more triggered about my body than I've been in a while. And, you know, if you guys listening, you've heard the story about my disordered eating and, and, of course, eat with intention. You know about my whole book, which is about making peace with your body and, um, and that journey of mine. But what I haven't talked about as much is that, you know, that's something that I'm always working on. It's something that is leap years <laughs> better than it than it was back in those days, and I no longer engage for probably a decade. It's been a decade, yeah. It's been a decade right now since I've engaged in um, disordered behaviors around it, but it doesn't mean that I don't. You know, I'm always conscious about bringing myself back to love. You know, if I have a day where my jeans feel a little tight or I feel bloated or I look at someone else and I you know I, I get pictures back it happens a lot you know if I get pictures back from an event and I feel like I you know don't look my best <laughs> um it can really take me out and I had so I was praying about this and I had this instance that happened that really brought it to the forefront my um my boyfriend uh, has a daughter with his ex-wife and um, his ex-wife uh, still suffers from an eating disorder. And um, I was hanging, I met his ex-wife for the first time um, a few weeks ago or a month ago or something like that. And she is extraordinarily tiny. She is, she is someone that you would 
noticeably see that has a eating disorder, which is something that, you know, I'm familiar with from my years working through that. And it was alarmingly triggering for me because the, the one part of my brain was felt so much compassion and so much sorrow for her because I know what that's like. And it's something I would wish I no one. And I know the self-loathing and the harm and the pain that comes with that. And it's painful. Um, to see another woman, regardless of who they are, um, in that. And then the other, the the part of me that had the <laughs> disorder, um, looked at her and felt huge and had envy for how tiny she was and felt gross and and wondered how my boyfriend could go from having someone so small to having uh, me. And that was, you know, not not healthy thoughts, of course. I have a very healthy, fit body that I feel very comfortable with, but it doesn't mean that I don't have those moments though where I go back there. It doesn't mean that those thoughts don't come up. You know, there are thoughts that I am ashamed to be putting out in public, but there are thoughts that I know that I, I have to share because I know that there's someone listening to this that's like, oh, F, I hear that. I've been there. And it's a dark, twisted little thing that we try to hide. And then another thing happened that really sealed the deal for me was um, his daughter that weekend. I was watching her and we were playing in the pool and um, and out of nowhere, we're like coloring and, and splashing around and stuff. And she looks at me in my bathing suit and I'm wearing like a one piece, um, not that it really matters, but she looks at me in my bathing suit and she goes, you have a big belly. And she's eight. <laughs> um, and in that moment, I wanted to die. I wanted to not exist. I wanted to just disappear into air and and I didn't know what to do because my eyes started welling up with tears and I didn't want to say anything because I did not want to say something that inferred that having a big belly was a bad thing. I didn't want to say something that made her feel like that was an insult because she's so young and she probably thought it was an okay observation to say to me. Um, and I didn't want to deny it, right? Because here's the thing, not that there's anything wrong with having a big belly. I don't have a big belly. And the reason she sees me as having a, a big belly is because I have healthy womanly curves. I have boobs and I have a butt. Um, and you know, I don't have a, a six pack, but I, you know, I, I'm also don't, I don't look like I'm, I'm pregnant either, you know, but she has a very unhealthy role model at home. And so it was kind of like this explosion of feelings at once, once just me, uh, feeling really vulnerable and targeted and hurt because of my own issues <laughs> with my body. And two, also feeling really sad because now I'm, I'm thinking, how do I, make sure this eight-year-old doesn't think there's anything wrong with having curves and, and being soft and, and, and allowing yourself to be womanly and, and whatnot and not knowing. <laughs> it was a mess, okay? It was a mess. 
Um, and I, you know, I, I did not tell her that she did anything wrong and I played it off and I, you know, I told her I was, I had a very healthy body. Um, and, um, but, but I say that and <laughs> share that vulnerable story and hopefully, you know, uh, without too much judgment from anyone listening, because definitely it's one of those, like I said, this is the area, this is the area that, um, I'm most vulnerable in. This is the area that to this day, um, I still need to give myself my own medicine. All of the tools that I talk about and eat with intention. I had to go back, you know, and I had to remind myself that I love my body. I needed to do counteraction, right? When those things happen, you get triggered. The first thing you want to do is restrict if you have negative body situation going on, right? So it was like, okay, for the next meal, the first thing I know I need to do is to make sure I'm going to eat the same thing I was going to planning on eating before and not eat less or nothing because I felt uncomfortable. And so it's like, again, I, I go back, I use my own toolbox in those instances when I feel um, like I need my own medicine. And, and that whole weekend, that, that very triggering weekend, really brought it up to the surface. It made me realize that for me, the, the biggest thing that changed my life was being able to get my relationship with my body under control because I spent the first 20 something years of my life hating my body. I spent the first 20 years of my life consumed, consumed with trying to work, work out enough to make it disappear, take enough diet pills to make it disappear, figure out some sort of every crazy diet in the book, every lemonade diet. I use, I mean, buying like the Hollywood detox from Dwayne Reed, you name it, crazy thing. I did it to try to disappear. I, I, I wanted nothing more than to look like Mary Kate and Ashley Olsen, you know, um, not, not in full house, <laughs> not in full house. Um, and it's something that I take my own medicine every day on. You know, and, and at this point, it's like I said, it's been a decade and I've done a ton of work and a lot of the healing was also from sharing it and teaching it and, and putting it in public, right? You know, coming out with a book on it, talking about it on my blog, right? That, that most days, luckily, I don't think about it that much. You know, most days, you know, I eat healthy. I don't, I don't overthink what I'm eating. I eat mostly, um for fuel and to nourish my body and not trigger any of my food allergies. And I work out when I feel like working out. I don't, I don't push myself to work out. Um, I still get some anxiety going to the gym because of how much I used to hurt myself going to the gym. Um, but then, you know, I always have my days. I have my days where I, you know, I'll order a dress from Rent the Runway and it'll be a little too snug and I'll cry. You know, I have my days when I have an eight-year-old that tells me I have a belly and I want to just, like, go into a closet and disappear. And and that is why, you know, we were talking in Glastonbury and I was sharing this and, you know, around um, women that that truly were seeing me and, and know me, right? And I was sharing about the two things and they had me talk about let's say the magic and the rituals and, and that and then they had me talk about this body 
body love. Um, and there, and they could tell, you know, when I talked about this, that it comes from a place of knowing how transformative it can be, because it comes from a place of someone who deeply knows what it's like to need the medicine. And when I own that, the the hardest part of owning that and the thing that I think I ran away from and the reason why it's easier for me to talk about business, it's easier for me to talk about magic and rituals and the moon and spells is because I it's so much less vulnerable for me. It's I could talk about the moon until the cows come home. And it doesn't mean you know, it doesn't mean I'm never gonna talk about the moon. I love the moon. I could talk about rituals, I can you know, I can talk about business. Um, none of that was as painful or as hard for me or as transformative for me as loving my body was, as healing my relationship with food, exercise, as being able to feel confident in my own skin. That's what changed the game for me. That's what allowed me to live this life that I have right now. That's what allows me to get on stage and speak in front of people, allows me to get on Instagram stories, allows me to write books and work with clients. That's because I took the medicine that I needed to bring forth into the world. I took the medicine. I figured out the medicine that I needed to heal that, to heal my relationship with my body. And yes, it's not perfect. And so it does feel incredibly vulnerable when I can tell you that just a few weeks ago, I was on my feet for it or on my, knocked off my feet maybe for it, right? That it's still something that I, it's, I don't know if there's, you know, one of the things that I used to always struggle with in the 12 steps was the fact that, you know, they don't necessarily think you ever like completely absolve yourself of it, right? It's just always kind of like a devil you'll have to dance with. But I think that is in a way what our medicine is. It is the person that's always going to have to think about working out, right? It's always the person maybe that's going to have to figure out the the way to be happy, right? That's going to have to put intention and conscious effort into it, right? Because they're the person you want to go to. They're the person that's going to give you the real, raw, effective medicine because they flippin' need it too. And so I want to... I hope this, you know, is bringing forth something to you and I hope you're going to listen to it. What is that thing in your life that transformed when you figured out what the medicine was for it? What is the most painful thing that you were able to alchemize through whatever methods you figured out to help you? And what is the thing that, you know what, you might still have to be conscious of on a day-to-day -day basis right now. You might still have to be doing those push-ups. Because you know what? That's what makes you the best flipping person for the job because you get it. You get what it's like to be on the battlefield. And other people are going to feel that, are going to resonate with that, are going to know that in your voice. And so, you know, this is me coming, my coming out party <laughs> that I'm really going to own. That my calling is to help women make peace with their body so that they can create the life that they that they deserve, that they know is ready for them. Because I know firsthand what it's like to let your body drama 
sabotage you from living the life you were destined for, sabotage you from being the bright, shiny, magnetic goddess that you were born to be, sabotage you from really creating the impact and the change that you could in the world. Because I could not do what I do. I could not have been doing what I've been doing for the past decade if I didn't do my push-ups around loving my body. I could not spend the amount of hours thinking about how to shrink it, the amount of hours in the gym. I could not be taking the diet pills or, or starving myself in the, the different ways I was doing that and show up as who I am today. I couldn't have wrote a book like that. I couldn't have got clients like that. I couldn't speak all over the world. I couldn't be on TV. I couldn't have done that. I couldn't be on mission. I couldn't have, like, I forget even all that. I couldn't have the amazing romantic relationship I have right now. I couldn't have the happiness I have right now, the friendships I have right now. I could not have the juicy, beautiful life that I have right now if I was still a slave to that negative voice in my head that was always telling me that I was innately unworthy and not good enough because of how my body looked. And the gift that I know, the medicine, the gift and the medicine that I'm here to bring to women is yes, to empower them to serve the world, to be the force of life they are in the world. But it's also for those women who are listening to this right now or who might find this at some point that know what I'm talking about. They're going to hear that story and, and feel the lump in their throat and a little queasiness in their stomach, imagining if an eight-year-old told them that too. They're going to get it. And it's those women that I have a secret sauce for. And those women who are out there wanting to live these big juicy lives and still probably ashamed because I know I was. I know when I have moments I'm still ashamed of being conscious of that, of wishing they were skinny, uh, of, of doing things that they're not proud of that maybe they even know better than to do in the sake of losing weight. That 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 don't get on the stages they want to get on or take the pictures maybe they need to take for their brand or show up the way they need to in person because they don't feel confident in their own skin because there's part of them that's still hiding and I know that that's my secret sauce that I can give to women and I want to hear from you I want to know from this podcast what is your secret sauce? What is the medicine that you first needed to give yourself that you probably you need to take your daily dose of every day that you can help bring forth into the world that's going to transform the lives of other women? And if you're someone that relates to my story around your body, I'm offering a free five-day divine body challenge because I want to share these tools. I want to share five of the most impactful tools in helping me flip the script on how I feel about my body and and allow myself to get out of that body drama, negative self-talk in my head and get into creating the life I know I'm meant to here on the planet. And I want to give that gift to you. So it's completely free. The challenge starts um, October 28th. But if you're listening to this way, way in the future, I'll probably have it available for you to do um, self-study as well. 
So click the link below, sign up for that if that is something that you relate to, um, which I think so many women, depending on where you are in that spectrum, if you're someone that feels like you could feel more confident and radiant and magnetic in your body, um, you could really embrace that, then sign up for the challenge. It's going to help you um, regardless of where your starting point is. It's really going to help you move the needle to feel like the goddess you are and, and be magnetic and confident um, when you walk into a room and, and doing whatever you want to do with this one beautiful life you have. So thank you for listening to this especially vulnerable episode of Practical Magic Musings. Um, and please hit me up, you know, screenshot this. Um, tag me on your Instagram stories. Let me know what ahas you had um, during this episode. Let me know what resonated with you. Um, and share it if you have any women in your life or people in your life in general that you think would benefit from it. Have a great evening, and I'll see you again on Practical Magic Musings.